This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of the Zoomer Week in Review, heard every Sunday at noon on AM 740 Zoomer Radio. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by Chartwell Seniors Housing and Sun Life Financial. Good afternoon and welcome to the Zoomer Week in Review, all things Zoomer worldwide. I'm Libby Zneimer. It's part memoir, it's part history, a little bit of satire and sarcasm mixed in there with it. So it's, uh, it's not your standard history book. That's author Thomas King. He covers everything from massacres that never happened to the real story of Captain John and Pocahontas in his new history of Native people in North America. We'll talk to him later. As we head into the colder months, who wouldn't want to trade our Canadian winter for a sunny destination? With our strong dollar, many of us are looking south of the border to the U.S. for our winter getaway. But which states offer the best bang for your buck? The most culture, the nicest beaches, the best food? These questions are all answered in this month's issue of Zoomer magazine. And today, executive editor Vivian Vassos will join me to share some of them with you. This weekend, Mr. Gordon Lightfoot, a Canadian Zoomer icon, is celebrating his 74th birthday. We'll celebrate with him and hear one of his earliest and biggest hits. But first, here are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. Next! Next! <laughs> That's Nancy Pelosi, the Democrats' leader in the House of Representatives, reacting to a reporter's question as she announced that she'll be staying on in her job. At 72, the first female Speaker of the House has spent 10 years in this crucial leadership position. Here's how she and her supporters answered the question about whether she should step aside to make way for someone younger. Oh, you've always asked that question, except to Mitch McConnell. (laughs) Meanwhile, there's a troubling study about the state of ageism here in Canada. Half of all Canadians agree that ageism is the most tolerated form of social prejudice. That's according to the Rivera Report on Aging. Over two-thirds of the respondents say they've experienced some form of ageism. 38% have felt people assume they have nothing to contribute, with 27% going further and saying people assume they're incompetent. What's even more disturbing? 8 out of 10 agree that people over the age of 75 aren't as valued as younger people. We've talked a lot about end-of-life planning on this program, and a new study seems to reinforce what we've been saying. It's a good idea to share your wishes with your loved ones and a doctor as soon as possible. The study found that terminally ill people who get early counseling about end-of-life care undergo less aggressive medical treatment in their final days. Conversely, it suggests that people who only discuss their wishes at the last minute end up receiving aggressive treatment like chemotherapy or intensive care in that final month. People who discuss their wishes earlier are more likely to choose the alternative, treatment that involves reducing suffering and increasing the quality of life, 
as opposed to extending life as long as possible. The study is published in the online edition of the Journal of Clinical Oncology. We're all familiar with walks, rides, and runs to raise money for charity. Now some high-profile Zoomers are spearheading a very different kind of fundraiser to support homeless youth. Hi, I'm Brian Burke, President and General Manager of the Toronto Maple Leafs, and I am very proud to be the Honorary Co-Chair of the inaugural Covenant House Sleepout event here in Toronto. 400 business leaders across North America slept outside on Thursday, November 15th to raise money and awareness. Here in Toronto, that cohort included socialite Suzanne Rogers, Police Chief Bill Blair and CEO Arlene Dickinson of Dragon's Den fame. I'm Libby Zneimer and those are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. Well, it is that time of year, and Zoomers are starting to think about that trip south. I'm here with Vivian Vassos, the executive editor of Zoomer magazine, and in the November issue, there is a great section with some destinations in the States and some that we might not usually think of. Hi, Vivian. Hi, Libby. Yeah, I think this year when we decided to do the Snowbird Package, it's our second annual We had such great feedback last year that we decided to try to think a little bit out of the box. So, of course, we're covering, you know, the old faithfuls like Florida and Arizona, but we're also giving people some fresh ideas. For example, there's so many people in Ontario who drive to Florida. Why not stop in Kentucky on the way? Spend a week there. Hopefully you can take a a trip on the Bourbon Trail and maybe a few sips of bourbon as well. It is the birthplace of bourbon. And uh, play the ponies in some of the most storied race tracks in the world. Or if you're from the West Coast, you might consider stopping off in Colorado. Denver is a huge hub. You can ski one day. The next day you can go golfing. It's quite remarkable, especially West Coasters who are spoiled that they can do that. Because our readers and winter vacationers in general have time, why not make more of where you're going so you can visit a Frank Lloyd Wright house and be inspired by architecture. You can try the locavore movement in California and be inspired by the farm-to-table almost all year round. It's interesting, Arizona, that was one of the best trips that we ever took, my husband and I. And first of all, the light is completely different. And then exploring this whole Western history It was fascinating. You know, we know it from old TV series and Westerns, but, but, you know, people there really take it seriously. I remember being in Tucson and we were at a bar and everybody was kind of dressed up and packing guns in the bar, I might add. Yeah, that's something maybe snowbirds uh, from Canada may not be used to, but at the same time, (laughs) I think our, our readers are... Are, they're familiar with that culture. So you're right, from Old West to Route 66 to the Grand Canyon to just art galleries done up in these um, no more than a mile or square mile or two of real cowboy towns. And yet a block away, you're getting the most modern hotels, modern amenities, great hospitals, easily accessible, wide sidewalks. So it, it's a combination. It's a Zoomer's dream, really. But there's also the active we do things like golf. Golf is still huge, very important. I remember being in, in the locker room with a friend of mine who got into a frenzy because she was trying to rent a place in a golf community in Florida. This was quite a few months ago, so is it late now for people who haven't made their plans? Um, it can be. It depends on where you want to go. We actually have a great story from our finance expert, Gordon Pape, in the magazine that gives you rental tips, particularly in Florida. So definitely worth checking out. But 
Florida's not the only place you can golf. And one of the what I thought was surprising and delightful was the southern states, and we're talking about way south, so sandwiched between Texas and Florida, two very typical snowbird destinations, you have the Gulf states, Louisiana, Mississippi, and Alabama. There are more than 700 golf courses, and most of them are within the budget of what a, a snowbird would definitely approve of. And they're both very easy to get to. So if you are in Florida and you want to take a week and go somewhere else, it's very easy. It's very accessible. It's a great idea to try something new, even while you're in the United States. Now, these places that you just mentioned, would they be cheaper because they are off the beaten path? Yes, they are. But they also are at a level that some competitive golfers would find just as challenging as Florida or Arizona. You know, the other thing that we are trying to look at is destinations that appeal to the multi-gen set because grandparents are very important to us. They're looking for places that they can take the grandkids. And so we've, we've got places like Hawaii on the list. Of course, Florida is ever popular. Orlando is still in the top three destinations. Where would you go, Vivian? Where I would go, I would start in Tennessee and I would make my way all the way down to Florida because I think there's many options, including uh, Mississippi River cruising. So that's what I would like to do this year. Okay. Well, um, I have a hunch that you, you usually get to do what you want to do in terms of travel, so you'll have to tell us all about it. Thanks, Libby. Thank you, Vivian. You can see the complete Snowbird Guide in the current edition of Zoomer magazine. I'm Libby Snymer, and you're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review. In just a moment, we'll speak with author and Native activist Thomas King. His latest book mixes humor and history to tell the tale of Native people in North America. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by Chartwell Seniors Housing and Sun Life Financial. In the 1970s, he was a frontline activist for AIM, the American Indian Movement. Now he's an academic and award-winning novelist. Zoomer Thomas King says he wrote The Inconvenient Indian to make Native history accessible and to reveal the truth about events that have long been cloaked in myth. He dropped by the studio earlier this week. This book, An Inconvenient Indian, is called A Curious Account as opposed to a history. Yes. Why? It's part memoir, it's part history, a little bit of satire and sarcasm mixed in there with it. So it's, uh, it's not your standard history book. But you're known for writing fiction. You didn't make things up in there. No, no, no. I didn't make things up. But you start the book with an episode that other people made up involving a massacre that never happened. Yes. And there are quite a few of those. I mean, the, uh, the massacre that never happened is in Almo, Idaho. This would have been one of the biggest massacres of whites by Indians. But if you go back through the, the historical records and the papers of the time, there is nothing, absolutely nothing. As historians have gone back through to look at that record, it's pretty well conclusive that uh, the massacre never occurred. Now, you've found that even positive stories involving Native people are also made up. You talk about Pocahontas and Captain John. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's been known for a long time. I throw that in because it's one of my favorite stories and because Disney gave me a chance to go after it again. John Smith doesn't even write about Pocahontas until after she's become a celebrity in England. So what is it with white people making up stories about <laughs> Indian history? I think that non-Native North America has a particular idea 
of native people of North America. And I don't think that that idea has changed much over the centuries. You deal with what you call dead Indians, which is, I guess, the stereotype of the Indian in the full headdress and the buckskin and all of that. Yeah. When I go over to Europe and uh, I go on a book tour over there, I always get at least one photographer or so who pulls me inside and says, uh, you you don't look very Indian. What I think they mean is it's not just leathers and feathers. I think it is a kind of attitudinal thing, you know, that they have a particular image, a sort of Karl May image of Indians, this notion of what real Indians are supposed to be like. And for whatever reason, whether I had my mustache at the time or whether or not I'm more articulate than I need to be, I just don't measure up in the end. But a lot of Native leaders themselves seem to perpetuate this. I mean, you mentioned this in the book when we see Phil Fontaine, uh, former Assembly of First Nations. You know, he's dressed up. Well, here's the problem. When we go to powwows, for instance, and get dressed up for the dancing and the singing, we're doing that for ourselves. These are ways that we have of uh, remembering part of the past and bringing it forward into the future. At the same time, It has value in a non-native setting, and we know that. And so, you know, when Phil Fontaine goes to receive the uh, apology of the prime minister uh, in parliament, you know, he goes dressed up like a dead India. I'm not arguing that it's bad or that it's good. It's problematic. Would you like to see leaders stop doing that? It has great visual value, and the media, God bless them, Love that sort of thing. <laughs> and if I were to show up one of those events in, uh, in a Brioni suit, I don't know that they'd pay a whole lot of attention to me. And that's the dilemma. The Indian that North America wants to pay attention to is that dead Indian. When I was a frontline activist, I didn't get dressed up in a hoodie and a pair of running shorts and running shoes. Oh, no. I had a beaded pouch and a bit beat a belt buckle and a four-strand bone choker, and I wore my hair really long, and when it gets long, it gets curlier than hell. It's really kind of ugly. I was trying to make sure that they understood that I was not something else, that I was an Indian. You know, I had all the markers for that. On a personal note, you are what we call a Zoomer. Aha, uh-huh. am uh, I? <laughs> yes. <laughs> You've kind of come from your background is, uh, as an activist. Uh, white people would have considered you a radical. Oh, yes. And, uh, and did. you described to us what you used to look like. And I'm looking at you now, and you yeah. look pretty preppy. Uh, <laughs> so just describe 69 that, preppy, eh? <laughs> that, uh, that evolution and if your age has anything to do with writing this type of a book now. Well, certainly, uh, I couldn't have written this book earlier on. I wouldn't have had the experience to write the book. I would not have had the patience to write the book. This was a difficult book. Six years to write it. And uh, the research was painful, to be honest with you, because it sort of opened old wounds for me. Anything that you see as your biggest mistake, personally? Oh, personally, my biggest mistake. I I suppose, uh, just in general, trying to be something I wasn't during uh, the late 60s, early 70s. But the problem was, in those days, if you weren't on the front lines, you weren't really in uh, in India. Uh, So you had to do that kind of work. But I was never really comfortable with it. Uh, There were other avenues that I wanted to work in that were really unavailable at that time. As I got older, they were more available, more available as a writer, more available as a, I suppose, as an intellectual. And do you see this book as a culmination of 
something? I do. So, yeah, I think this is probably a culmination of all of that, uh, certainly partly my life that was lived through that period, that uh, very kind of exciting and scary period, and also just a culmination of what I know and what I've come to believe. You know, whether you agree with me or not, whether you think my analysis is accurate or not, I think uh, this is the best story that I can present of the history of uh, Native people in North America. Okay, on that note, we'll close it out. Thomas King, thanks so much. Pleasure to meet you. Thanks very much for having me on the show. The Inconvenient Indian, a curious account of Native people in North America, is published by Doubleday Canada and available in bookstores now. I'm Libby Snymer, and you're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review. This weekend, Gordon Lightfoot celebrated his 74th birthday, and in just a moment, we'll celebrate with some of his fantastic music. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by Chartwell Seniors Housing and Sun Life Financial. Welcome back to the Zoomer Week in Review, all things Zoomer worldwide. I'm Libby Snymer. It's time for your International Arts Date Book. Tips for those of you who are jetting around the world. Here's Jane Brown. In New York City, the musical you remember is back on Broadway. It's a hard knock life for us. And he stars Lilla Crawford as the Depression-era orphan in a new production of the 1977 hit. It's playing at the Palace Theatre at Broadway and 47th. To the Windy City, where the Steve McQueen exhibition continues at the Art Institute of Chicago, McQueen is internationally acclaimed for his work primarily in film and video. In London, see Dorothy's gingham dress and ruby slippers from The Wizard of Oz. Costumes from Charlie Chaplin to the recent film blockbuster Avatar are on display at Victoria and Albert's. And in Paris, the paintings of Baroque artist Artemisia Gentileschi are on display at Musée Mayol. Artemisia was one of the most accomplished painters of her generation after Caravaggio. I'm Jane Brown, and that's the International Arts Date Book. Thanks, Jane. You This weekend, Gordon Lightfoot, one of Canada's favorite Zoomer icons, celebrated his 74th birthday. He took the celebrations to the stage with a four-night run at Toronto's Massey Hall that kicked off on Wednesday and culminated in a final bash last night. Massey Hall has long been considered Lightfoot's home turf. He began performing there in the 60s and has been making yearly runs at the venue ever since. Today, we'll hear a piece from his latest album, All Live, which features songs recorded in Massey Hall during the late 90s and early 2000s. It's one of his most popular tunes, Carefree Highway. Slip away, slip away on you 
Gordon Lightfoot's Carefree Highway, recorded live at Toronto's Massey Hall. Gordon turned 74 this weekend and celebrated with a run of shows at the legendary music venue. And that brings us to the end of another edition of the Zoomer Week in Review. If you have any questions or comments, you can email them to zwire, Z-W-I-R, at zoomerradio.ca. I'm Libby Zneimer. Please come back next week when we'll tell you all about the Alpha Boomer. You've been listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by Chartwell Seniors Housing and Sun Life Financial. Produced by MZ Media Limited. Executive producer, Moses Snyder. Produced by Paul Thomas. Program director, John Vandriel. This has been an exclusive podcast of the Zoomer Week in Review, heard every Sunday at noon on AM740 Zoomer Radio. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.